Um, what? Yes, sound people. Whenever I get up here, I'm going to start talking eventually. So let's turn the mic on, please. Uh, the um, wanna wanna clarify one thing real quick. We I said that today's like uh, or next week's like promotion Sunday, but with the seniors, it's kind of a little bit different deal because you guys aren't going to college till like what August. So um, if you're a senior and you're and you're in the room, um, I want you to know that you are still invited to things uh, Sundays and Wednesdays beyond just this coming week. Okay, so we're not like kicking you guys out the door today or something like that. Um, so yeah, that is if you're not too cool for us by then. That is. Um, but we've been looking at the book of Acts, and today's passage, go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 13, and we're looking at verses 1 through 12 today, and we have been looking at this uh, book ever since uh, really late February, and um, I'll give you a quick recap. If, you, if you're new to the Bible, basically the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the beginning of the New Testament. Those are the accounts of Christ. And then the book of Acts is just after the last gospel. And quick review, I've been out for, I was out last week. So who wrote the book of Acts? Just one quick review. See, now you guys are saying, Paul, just to make me angry, okay? And I will get angry, even though I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt, I will still get angry up here, I promise you that. Uh, no, so who wrote the book of Acts? Luke, okay. Not Paul, but Luke. Um, we are going to get into uh, uh, the, light, the story of Paul a little bit today, though. Um, so the, the book of Acts is really the story of the church. It's what, it's what took place after Christ left the earth. And um, before we jump into today's passage, though, I want to just clarify one thing. Um, every time we go to the scriptures, you have to ask yourself the question, what is it that God is trying to reveal in me that he wants to change? You cannot just go to the Bible and expect just the warm fuzzy, okay? Just like the... Okay, I just want to get a little encouragement. You can't just go to the Bible and just expect that. You've got to ask the question. Each time you open the scriptures, each time you hear someone yell at you from the Bible from a stage, you've got to ask yourself the question, what is it that God is trying to show me, reveal to me? What sin is God trying to expose in me? Those are the questions you have to ask when you open up the Bible. Um, there's a passage that talks about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I'll read it quickly. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, two of those words especially are painful. One is rebuke and one is correct. Have any of you ever been rebuked or corrected and thought, thank you so much. I, I love that. That was awesome, right? It normally feels like, you know, back of the hand kind of thing, right? And so what this verse is saying is that every time you open the scriptures, all of God's word is useful for basically correcting you, teaching you, and training you in righteousness. What that means is that every time you open it, it's going to be painful. It's going to hurt, okay? But it's a good kind of hurt. Now, uh, this past week, um, what I normally do is I, I'll go and work out at the gym, and I'll kind of go and just read in my car, then I'll go on a prayer walk. If you see me walking, um, it's behind that big shopping center where Staples is located. And I've had, church, I've had people here at the church be like, I saw you walking. Are you lost? I'm like, no, I was just stuck. I was kind of going for a walk. And I don't want to sound like spiritual and be like, I was on a prayer walk. What were you doing? You know? I don't want to sound like that. So I just say I was on a walk, and they're like, that's weird. You know? And uh, 
but I take this, this, this long walk, and I'll just kind of pray while I'm walking. And, but what I find is that almost every time I open God's Word, there's this stuff revealed in me that I don't like. And so the prayer walk is me basically just confessing to God, saying, God, give me strength in this area of my life. Help me to put these sins at your feet. Um, forgive me for these things. I confess those things to God. And so this past week, um, I was kind of stressed out about a few things, and uh, I just had this sort of like tone with my kids and my wife that wasn't good. I just had this sort of grumbling, complaining attitude, like this, this tone, this weird tone of like just frustration. And it, it, and it really um, seeped into everything I was doing this past week. And so then I go and read the Bible on, I think it was Monday, and go for this long prayer walk. And of course, the Bible passage I read was the Israelites grumbling in the wilderness. Okay, so, so God in his sovereignty um, gave me a, uh, a backhand, so to speak, and I go home like, Courtney, I'm really sorry that I've been this way the last couple of days, and, um, and so as, as you'll see when you open the scriptures, you've got to come at it with the idea of, God, what sins are you trying to reveal in me as a result of me reading this? Um, you've got to have that question whenever you open the scriptures. So the question we're going to ask today is, what what things in you does God want to change as we look at Acts chapter 13 today? So look with us, Acts chapter 13, verses uh, 1 through 12, and we'll do some questions in a few minutes. Here's what it says. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Go ahead and do questions one through three at your tables. Go ahead and discuss. Okay, I'll summarize what happened here in this first part of the passage just briefly. Um, if you're not careful, it just becomes a bunch of names. Um, but there are some really important people in this passage. This one guy named, uh, I can't even pronounce his name, Menaean, I think is his name. Um, it says that he was uh, formerly friends with Herod the Tetrarch. This is the same Herod that beheaded John the Baptist. So you have a guy. That was the Holy Spirit. Uh, you have a guy. You have a guy who is really opposed to the gospel, and also someone like Saul, who persecuted Christians, also opposed to the gospel. You have these two people becoming believers. And so what you see is people who are devout unbelievers becoming devout believers and putting their faith and trust in Christ. When you think about that truth, it gives us great confidence in our faith today. The fact that so many people that were devout unbelievers became believers, I think, is a great proof of just that Christ is who he As a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwelling within you, and he is there to lead you and to guide you. Now, I'm not saying this is always happening in really obvious ways. I'll explain um, a few ways I think God did this in my own life. I really do think that the Holy Spirit was actively involved in me marrying my wife, in me going to seminary, um, in me pursuing what I'm currently doing with you guys here. And I'll explain how this happened. I think 
Um, I'll never forget, I actually had lunch with a guy this past week, the guy that mentored me for like seven years, and he was a youth pastor, and I was an intern at his church. That guy's name is Joe Centineo. He's an Italian guy about this tall. He looks like, no kidding, he looks like real-life Super Mario, okay? And uh, you're like, aren't you like in a video game or something like that? And um, he looks just like that guy. So he's, uh, he came here to Temple this past week. He was coming uh, from Austin, going up to Dallas-Fort Worth, and he stopped in to have lunch with uh, me, Casey, and Tim, because we all had this guy as our mentor back when we were in college. And um, we had lunch with him. And I'll never forget, I was a senior in high school. I was on a mission trip to England, and we, were, we had uh, landed in Washington, D.C., where I was from. And we're in the airport, and he's going back to Texas, and he's walking down the little walkway to his plane. He turns around and says to me, hey, Dave, uh, give me a call sometime. Um, there's an internship I have available in Arlington. And I thought, what? Okay, whatever. And I didn't think much about it after that. And about a week later, I started thinking about this, and I started thinking, you know, I'm going to give him a call and talk about that. And I just felt the Holy Spirit prompting me in that moment to pursue this. Wasn't sure why. Wasn't sure why. But I pursued it. I came down for a, uh, a week at Christmas time that year. Actually picked up and moved the next year. So within that year time frame, God was pursuing me to pursue this thing. And then once I got to Texas, one thing led to another. And I started, I went to school at um, UT Arlington which is an awesome school, by the way. It's way cooler than UT Austin, by the way. I, I'm totally joking right now when I say that. Um, but, but I went to UT Arlington, and I was, I was going to school. I was interning at this church. And, of course, through that, God brought about me meeting uh, my wife, Courtney. And I felt God leading me to pursue her. Um, then also later on, once, once you walk across the stage, especially as a college graduate, you think to yourself, I will never take another test as long as I live. Okay? Right? Becca knows this to be true. Um, it's just, it's just, that's just how you feel. You're like, I am done with school for the rest of my life. So I finished college at UTA and started pursuing jobs in my degree field. And then about six months later, I feel God start pulling me towards full-time ministry, which means more school. And I knew it was from God because I started getting excited, like thinking about going to school again, and I'm like, that is totally not me. That has to be God all the way because I am, that's not me, right? And so I felt the Holy Spirit pulling me in these directions, and as I respond to the, responded to that, this is why I'm here right now today doing this job with you guys. And so I think the Holy Spirit, He leads us, He guides us. In this case, He sends these two men to go to Cyprus. They just feel led to go in this direction, and they obey, and, the, and that's the response to Him. Now, the primary way that God does lead us, I think, is through his word. So if someone, if, if you sense in your heart, God, or if you sense in your heart that you're supposed to murder someone, it's probably not from God, okay? Anytime what you feel like God's telling you to do goes counter to the Bible, then you know it's not from God. So he leads us through his word primarily, but he also leads us in other ways as well. Look at verse 4. It says, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. So this is Paul's first mission trip. He is going from Antioch, which is on the mainland of the, uh, east, the east coast of the Mediterranean, and he is going to um, 
an island called Cyprus. I have a map for you to look at this, where this is located. Go to the next slide real quick. Um, it looks kind of like the U.S., a little smaller version of it, sort of. Um, but uh, this is actually the north um, east corner of the Mediterranean Sea. And so Paul and his friends, they come in at this uh, place called Salamis on the east coast. They go throughout the entire island, end up going over to a place called Paphos, which is on the western side of the, of the island there. And I have some modern-day photos of this place. This place is pretty amazing. Look at, look at these, this next photo. This place has um, got the crystal-clear blue water. Not a whole lot of green there, but, you know, uh, they got nice beaches and so on. Next slide, another photo of Cyprus. And so this is Paul's first mission trip. I feel God calling me to go there. What do you guys think? You guys want to? do a mission trip to Cyprus, right? Um, so Paul got to go to some really cool places. I've been throughout the Mediterranean, and it is amazing. And these are the places that Paul went to to share the gospel, okay? So he's called to Cyprus to go preach the gospel. Verse 4 says they are sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. As I said before, the Holy Spirit, I think he leads us, he guides us, he directs us, especially the Holy Spirit leads us, especially when it comes to the gospel, and sharing the gospel with people. A while back, we've had some neighbors across the street from our house um, that have been really friendly to us. We've, just been, we've had a, you know, a lot of conversations and so on. We've been praying that God would open up doors for the gospel with them. And, um, and I'll tell you, this is really cool. I just started praying that way about probably like two months ago, like really intentionally praying for those kinds of opportunities. And here's what happens, Okay. Um, I started having longer talks with this, this neighbor friend of mine. His name is Jerry, and uh, about 24 years old. And um, some great talks, but nothing really significant just yet. Well, you know the crazy guy? What's the guy's name? Harold Camping. He predicted the whole rapture thing. Remember that guy? Have you guys heard about him uh, the last couple of weeks? Um, he predicted the rapture like two weeks ago. And uh, Jerry comes over to my house, no joke, knocks on my door, okay, and wants to talk about Jesus, and he's, he's kind of freaked out because of this whole rapture talk that's in the news and whatnot. So we sit in my living room, and we talk about Jesus for like an hour, okay? And Landon's kind of playing around, and Sienna's rolling on the floor and slobbering everywhere, and we're talking about Jesus. And he's asking me about Jesus because this crazy man named Harold Camping said the rapture's going to come, and he started thinking about it. And so this guy is crazy, the guy that's doing the rapture deal, but Another way that God works is using crazy people like that to get people to think about stuff, okay? And so um, the conversation was cut short because of just some other circumstances, but he goes, hey, I want to keep talking about this. So then he comes to church last Sunday and hears me preach in the main service. Comes down front afterwards, he's like, hey, man, I just wanted to say, let you know I came, I came today, and so on. And so what you see is when you start praying for God to open up doors, he actually does it. He actually does the thing that you're asking him to do, especially when it comes to the gospel. You start praying for friends of yours, the God will open up doors for the gospel. I guarantee you it's going to happen. Those people are going to sense in you something different. They're going to start asking you questions about it. They'll come knock on your door asking you questions about the gospel and Jesus Christ. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And so I think the Holy Spirit is pursuing, the Holy Spirit is pursuing my neighbor. I pray that he comes into Christ eventually. And so what you see in this story is that the Spirit sends people on a mission to witness for Christ. And the cool thing is Barnabas, this guy Barnabas gets to go to his hometown. He's going back to where he's from. 
And if you think about it, God often uses family to reach family. And so people would, would know Barnabas before he became a Christian, you know, pre-Christ days, Barnabas, the crazy, crazy partier, right? They would know that guy, and they'd say, wait, you're, you're totally different now. W- what changed? And they'll know that Christ changed him. This will happen for some of you guys. Some of you guys have family that, that aren't saved, and God might, be used, might, might use you to win them to Christ. God often uses family to reach other family. And we see that play out in this story as well. Look at verse 6. It says, They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. That's a great name. And it is not a Christian nightclub, don't worry. Who was an attendant of the proconsul? Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So here's what happened. They go throughout the whole island, and Paul and Barnabas run into these two guys. Uh, They run into a guy who's a sorcerer and a false prophet. And this guy is a friend of the governor. The proconsul was like the governor of the whole island, okay? So imagine you go to this island, And the king of that island, the governor, wants to meet you and talk about Jesus. And this intelligent guy named Sergius is that guy. He pursues Paul and Barnabas, says, I want to talk about Jesus with you. And his friend, who's the sorcerer, the evil guy, says, tries to convince him otherwise. Go ahead and do questions four through six at your tables. I knew you guys would like. I knew you guys would like that first question. I'm trying to make you laugh a little bit. Uh, so what we see here in the story is there's this really intelligent guy. So the, the scriptures, um, the writer here, uh, see wants to let us know this guy is a really intelligent guy. This guy Sergius. He's the governor of the whole island, and I take comfort knowing that the most intelligent person or a, an intelligent person came to know Christ in this story. Don't you? It's comforting to know that, that people that were smart and intelligent actually came to believe in Christ after he was here on earth. Um, is it not true? Like, do, do you not feel like that uh, what you believe in is portrayed in the media and our culture as being that religion for the dumb, hillbilly, redneck, mullet-wearing guy or girl? You know what I'm talking about? Have you, uh, do you guys see that it's portrayed that way as, like, you're just a bunch of naive, gullible people who believe anything and everything and that is how you and I are often portrayed by people in the news, by news talk shows, and everything of the sort. And I'll say this, guys like that, that rapture prediction guy don't help matters, do they, right? Guys like him make us look like total fools, okay? And I think that is the weapon of the enemy. The we- the, what Satan knows will get anybody is if if, if he thinks, if someone thinks they're going to be stupid for believing in Christ, he will work extra hard to make sure that happens, okay? So it's comforting to me to know that an intelligent guy like Sergius comes to know Jesus in this story. Um, throughout history, there have been tons of intellectuals, really, really intelligent people that have come to know Christ. I think of C.S. Lewis. You guys know who that is? He was a former atheist. 
and became convinced that Jesus was who he said he was, became a God-honoring Christian, and wrote tons and tons of books after he became a believer in Christ. A very, very intelligent, smart, smart guy became a Christian. And the same was true of, of Sergius in this story. Now, um, Sergius is seeking to hear the word. It says he actually came to these guys seeking to hear the word. And this is just like my neighbor I described to you earlier, that some people are just seeking. They, God is pursuing them, and God is seeking after them. And as a response to that, they begin to seek God as well. Now, we see in this story that Sergius is seeking to hear the word of God, but his friend is trying to stand in his way. And this is the exact same thing that happens to many of you guys here in the room. You have friends that knew you before Christ, and once you come to know Christ or start following Christ, they are at your side trying to convince you that you're making a mistake. They are at your side trying to convince you that it's just a bunch of lies, it's a bunch of deceit, um, you're stupid for believing this. How could you leave your friends and go and be friends with people that believe weird things from the Bible? How can you do that? And so some of you hear this in words. Some of you hear this in action. You become a Christian, start following Jesus, and your friends or former friends don't talk to you anymore, want nothing to do with you because of your newfound faith in Jesus Christ. And what you have to know about this is that following Jesus is going to end some friendships. It, it just is. Not that that should be your goal, but it's going to end some friendships. And what I think most people your age fall into is this idea that you can follow Jesus and everyone that was your friend before you followed Jesus is going to be totally okay with you because what they're going to see you as, they're going to now say things to you like, oh, so you ju- are you judging me now because you're this Christian and I'm not that way? Are you judging me? And your response can be no. I mean, I don't, I'm not doing that. I'm just trying to follow Jesus. But following Christ is going to end some friendships. And I think what many of you struggle with is just that reality. You, you feel mean. You feel judgmental. You feel like just by your decision to follow Christ that you are condemning them. That may not be your intent, but you feel that way. And so following Christ is going to end some friendships. That's just the natural outgrowth of it. Look at verse 9. Here's Paul's reaction, Saul's reaction. He's not really called, I guess it says here he's called Paul. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamus, this is a sorcerer guy, and said, and I love this, Paul just like rips him here. He just throws every insult in the book at him. He says, verse 10, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Another version I read this week said, had the word villainy. It said, you are full of villainy. And I was like, I want to use that word on Sunday. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So let's summarize what happened here. So this guy's on the side of Sergius saying, 
hey, don't believe, don't believe. He's like the devil on this guy's shoulder in this moment, saying, don't believe what this guy is telling you to do. And then Paul turns to this guy and just rips him, rips into him with his words and says, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and make you blind right now. How about that? You know, it just makes the guy go blind there on the spot. So here's, here's what's happened. So this guy who's the sorcerer, he's the guy that the whole town comes to to find out what's going to happen in the future. And so he has this at least perceived ability to see into the future, to not just see the present, but to see the future as well. At least that's what they think he can do. And now he can't even see in the present. He can't see anything physically. It says he can't even see the sun. Most people that are considered blind legally can see objects and shapes. They can see light. They can see darkness. They can still see somewhat. This guy can't even see the sun. Go ahead and close your eyes right now. Just do it. Go ahead and close your eyes as as tight as you can, okay? Now, imagine being completely in darkness for the rest of just today, okay? Just today. You would feel completely helpless, right? You would feel like you, you, you can do nothing on your own. So this man who is not just, you know, seeing into the future, so to speak, he was actually helping other people see into the future as well. Now he can't even see in the present. He can't see anything. And Paul does this to him. You can open your eyes now. You're like, I thought I was going to close my eyes all day. So here's what's happening. The reason why Paul makes this guy go blind physically is because he's trying to show this guy, this is exactly what you are spiritually. I cursed you with blindness, but it was to show you that you are blind spiritually. It was to show this guy his spiritual state. And what I want you to get from this Go to my last slide here. It's the one last statement here. Here's what it says. Sometimes God's mercy looks like judgment. So Paul's words are harsh. He strikes a guy with blindness. This is a harsh thing to do, obviously. But in this moment, God is really, I think, showing this guy mercy because what, what God does sometimes is he sends someone into your life to speak bold truth to you so you can turn and repent. And that is an act of God's mercy. That is an act of God's grace. And so what often feels like judgment sometimes is really God's mercy, his grace at work in your life. And I don't know this guy came, I don't think he came to know Christ as a result of it, but the hope is that when God speaks through someone and speaks bold truth into your life, the hope is that you turn from whatever you're involved in and turn towards Christ. And when that happens, it is an act of God's mercy and his grace. But on the surface, it looks like God's judgment. And so for you guys today, there are going to be people in your life that speak into your life. I might be one of those people. Uh, other leaders might be one of those, some of those people. Friends might be those people for you. And they're going to say at times some harsh things, hopefully in a loving way but they're going to say some harsh things that hopefully can can bring you to repentance. For some of you, you're going to have to do this with other friends of yours that you know. You're going to have to be the person that, that exercises what looks like judgment to someone, but in a sense, it is God's grace and mercy at work because hopefully they'll, they'll turn from that sin. They'll turn back towards Christ. So go ahead and do qu- the last two questions at your tables and then pray for your groups when you're done and you'll be dismissed afterwards.
Don't forget impact training just after this service as well. Go ahead and discuss.